What's up, everybody, and welcome to this edition of the first and foremost sports podcast. I am your co-host, the one and only Quentin Douglas. And I'm Jimmy Covington. What's going on, y'all? We appreciate y'all for joining us for this episode. Jimmy, how you doing, bro? I'm doing good, man. How you doing? I'm doing pretty good, pretty good. I'm excited. I'm in a good mood. Uh, We got some exciting topics to talk about, so let's jump into it, shall we? Yes, sir. All right, so first up on the agenda, you know, perhaps the biggest sports news of the day in the NBA, we had superstar James Harden traded from the Houston Rockets to the Brooklyn Nets, reuniting him with Kevin Durant, uh, and of course, joining forces with other superstar Kyrie Irving. So, Jimmy, what are your thoughts on this trade? Well, before I get my thoughts, I want to make sure that everybody understands, you know, who went where. Uh, It started off as a three-team trade, and it wound up being a four-team trade. So, it's between the Houston Rockets, the Brooklyn Nets, the Indiana Pacers, and the Cleveland Cavaliers. So, the Houston Rockets got Victor Oladipo, Dante Exum, Exum, Redoins Crooks, three Brooklyn first-round picks, a first-round pick from the Milwaukee Bucks, and four pick swaps uh, with the Brooklyn Nets, first-round pick swaps. The Brooklyn Nets got James Harden. The Indiana Pacers got Karis LeVert in a second-round pick. And the Cleveland Cavaliers got Jared Allen and Tarion Prince. So, you know, with the Houston Rockets, you know, it was pretty much inevitable. James Harden had been disgruntled. You heard, you know, you heard rumors about it, you know, immediately, you know, after the bubble ended, you know, Talking about, you know, talks with him and Russ not, you know, getting along. I've seen reports talk about how James Harden was late to meetings, uh, late to the team playing, things of that nature. So, you know, when he came before the season started, he made it, you know, he made it extremely clear uh, that he did not want to be in Houston. You know, DeMarcus Cousins came out today and talked about, you know, how the disrespect happened before training camp even started. He said, you know, he mentioned that they hadn't done anything to James Harden. And, you know, he just felt like, you know, they were they were disrespected. You know, he said today I saw on ESPN where he said, you know, he he came he came to Houston for John Wall. He wanted to play with John Wall. He didn't necessarily want to play with James Harden. So I found that kind of interesting. And uh, I know James Harden after the game, after the game against the Lakers, James Harden came out basically and said that they weren't good enough to win. And, you know, they're only nine games into the season. So that was a slap in the face to the coaches and the rest of the players. So I, I felt like it was inevitable. So James Harden had to leave. There was no way he was going to stay the entire season. Uh, but for the Brooklyn Nets, you know, I feel like it could possibly work. But I think Kyrie Irving would have to play off the ball. I think James Harden would probably have to run the point guard. As we know, Kevin Durant has played with other superstars before. So Kevin Durant can play off the ball. And another thing, you know, with the Brooklyn Nets is Kyrie Irving, is his head going to be into the game? You know, right now, you know, he's not playing right now. Uh, he was seen at a, a family party without a mask. So he's probably going to face some some, some time off uh, because of that, uh, because of violating pro- COVID protocol. You know, he missed the game after the Capitol was stormed uh, last week. So you, you don't know where Kyrie Irving's head is. And I hope he's doing well. hope his family's doing well. Uh, but, you know, I don't think his head is in basketball you know he's done a lot of things in terms of you know social activism uh, but you can't be a full-time social activist and a full-time basketball player that's just it's just not enough time in the day and I know Stephen A. Smith mentioned earlier that Kyrie Irving should just retire and I, I actually I believe he should too uh, and if he wants to be a social activist then you know go ahead and do that and you know 
and I'm sure he'd do some great things. But, you know, it's like I said, it's hard to be a social activist and play basketball and do both things full time. So, you know, but if you want to talk about, you know, for the Pacers, they got a good young guard in Karis LeVert. You know, Victor Oladipo hadn't returned to form to the form that he was two years ago. And I think this was the last year on this contract. So I think they were going to part ways anyway. Uh, the Cavaliers got a, a good young big man in Jared Allen. Uh, they got a solid veteran in Torian Prince. So they got something out of the deal. So, you know, right now, obviously you won't be able to tell who won the trade, you know, as, as the months go along. We'll see. I think, you know, Rockets came out, you know, pretty big today. Got a lot of first-round picks. Got a couple quality players. I think they'll be able to jail more. Uh, I think they have a more well-rounded roster now, more, more well-rounded starting lineup. So uh, I'm excited going forward for, you know, Brooklyn and for the Rockets. You know, you made a lot of good points, bro. Uh, and I guess, you know, first I'm going to start with the obvious. Uh, of course, James Harden, that relationship between him and the Houston Rockets front office and the players was pretty much, you know, beyond unsalvageable. Uh, you know, even going back to you brought up last year with Russell Westbrook and even, you know, previous relationships with Dwight Howard and even Chris Paul, you know, those partnerships ended kind of sour. And, you know, this was just the latest in that in that debacle. And, you know, James Harden, he's one of the most polarizing superstars that we've ever seen in the game. Uh, there's no question about it. You know, arguably one of the greatest scorers we've ever seen. Uh, and I think instantly that takes this Nets team to – it puts them in championship or bust. Uh, in that stratosphere, you know, like I said, he's already one of the best peer scorers ever. You can make the argument he's the most unguardable player ever. Uh, you know, you got Kevin Durant, who's a lot of people's, uh, in, in their opinion, he's the best peer scorer of all time. And then your third string guy, you got Kyrie Irving, who is arguably the best ball handler of all time and probably the best below the rim finisher of all time so you know you got a lot of mouths to feed you know no doubt but that should be easily one of the best offenses in the league you know there will be question marks on the defensive end of the floor especially on the perimeter and you know you also have to multiply the fact that Spencer Dinwiddie that without him this season and he not only brought a scoring punch off the bench but he was also arguably the best perimeter defender uh, that they had to throw out there. But, you know, going to Kyrie Irving, the way he's gone about handling this situation and just the lack of communication between both sides, uh, especially on Kyrie Irving's side, you know, I just think that was all mishandled the wrong way or handled the wrong way. Um, and, you know, like you said, he should decide whether or not he wants to fully you know, put his foot towards social reform and fighting for social justice, or if he wants to put his foot forward towards basketball, because I guarantee you, James Harden and Kevin Durant, the only thing on their mind right now is winning the championship. And so, you know, Kyrie's going to have to decide whether or not he's going to get on board. And, you know, combined with the fact Steve Nash, you know, this is his first year coaching. He doesn't want to get caught up in all the off-the-court distractions you know he really wants to keep that as minimal as possible so 
Nonetheless, this will be a combustible science experiment, but they definitely have championship potential, and this move easily makes them the best team in the Eastern Conference. And like you said, too, don't sleep on the Rockets. You know, they got John Wall. They still got Boogie Cousins. Uh, Christian Wood, he's looking like the easy favorite or the early favorite for most improved player of the year. He's been a beast. Uh, you know, they got Eric Gordon still. They're bringing in Victor Oladipo, who's always been a nice, solid two-way player. Uh, we saw what he did a few years ago in the playoffs, pushing the Cavs to seven games. Uh, you know, like I said, I mentioned Boogie Cousins. Uh, and they brought a few young pieces, plus all the draft capital. So Houston definitely didn't leave this deal empty-handed. And now that the cancer, the locker room cancer is in Brooklyn and James Harden, uh, hopefully those guys can build some chemistry and gel together and, you know, have a pretty successful season. Because, you know, you mentioned Boogie Cousins wanted to play with John Wall. Uh, they were actually teammates at Kentucky. So they've had a, a pretty good relationship off the court for a few years. Uh, so I definitely don't think either side lost, especially considering the fact that Houston at this point had to trade James Harden to get him out of that situation. So, like you said, Tom will tell on who's truly the winner of this trade. Definitely. Uh, I'm excited. You know, the offense with Brooklyn is going to be tremendous. You already know what it is. You know, three, two of the greatest scores I've ever seen. Like you mentioned, the best ball handler, probably, arguably in NBA history. You know, got Joe Harris, who's a, who's a pure shooter. DeAndre Jordan is still, you know, serviceable. So, you know, I think the bench uh, is going to need a little upgrade. But, you know, with that kind of star power, you don't need that much of a bench. You got three guys that can go get you 40 every single night if they wanted to. So the future is bright in Brooklyn. I think the future is going to be bright in Houston as well. So I got to ask you before we move on to the next subject. Final five seconds of the game, you down by one, you need a bucket, and you Steve Nash, who you going to? Kevin Durant, seven feet, guard skills, can shoot over anybody, and he's a bucket. He's the most unique player uh, that the NBA has ever seen. I don't think there will ever be another Kevin Durant. There's never been a guy that was kind of comparable to Kevin Durant with his skill set and his height and his length. So Kevin Durant all the way. No doubt. You know, I agree with you. I got to go KD too. Uh, But, you know, another thing to keep an eye on, when these big threes come together, that third wheel is typically the guy that makes the biggest sacrifice. So, you know, with Kyrie's situation right now, I think, you know, it was already pretty inevitable that he was the third option. But if he decides that he wants to take X amount of nights of games off, uh, then with James Harden now in the fold, he can do that and they'll still be able to win basketball games as a team. Definitely. Uh, but moving on to our next topic, Monday night, the college football national championship took place. Wasn't the close competition we all had hoped for, but nonetheless, Alabama emerged as the cream of the crop. So, Jimmy, what are your thoughts and reactions from that game? As you know, I expected Bama to win, but not in this fashion, not by this margin. You know, I, I thought they were going to put up, you know, 
at least 40 points. I thought that would take that much to win. I know the defense has been much improved uh, from what it was early in the season, uh, but I didn't think they would stifle, you know, Ohio State like that. Uh, we saw what Ohio State did to Clemson in the last game, running the football and throwing the football. But I think early on, you know, on the first carry, Trey Sermon, you know, unfortunately injured his what looks like injured his collarbone. And I think that definitely changed the game. Uh, but, you know, they just had Justin Fields off kilter uh, the entire night. And Ohio State was missing some players. If I'm not mistaken, they were missing two uh, starters along the defensive line. They were missing their starting kicker as well. So mm-hmm. I'm sure they, play, sure they played a part as well. But also Alabama was missing, you know, Malachi Moore, who's arguably the most talented freshman defensive back in the country. Uh, and they also lost John Battle, one of their starting safeties, in the first in the first quarter. And they lost Devontae Smith, you know, after, you know, the beginning of the third quarter. So, you know, Bama had, you know, sustained some injuries, had some losses as well. But, you know, it was just total domination. Uh, they outgained OSU 621 yards to 341 total yards. Uh, there were six of 11 on third down. Uh, they had time of possession for 37 minutes. You know, Steve Sarkeesian called a, a, a great game. You know, they were torching man and zone coverage. You know, Ohio State, they were out scheme. Alabama had the talent advantage. They were more physical, and they executed plays better. Simply put, Mac Jones was outstanding, 464 yards, five touchdowns. Devontae Smith, you know, looking like the greatest receiver in college football history, had 12 receptions for 215 yards and three touchdowns, and that was all in the first half. Najee Harris, you know, showed his prowess. He was the top five Heisman finalist. 158 yards from scrimmage and three touchdowns. So, you know, all those guys that you expected to come out and ball, uh, they came out and did the thing. Justin Fields, you know, he played decent, 194 pass yards. I think he added another 60 yards on the ground. Uh, but Alabama was just simply – they were just too much for Ohio State. You know, you know, Ohio, Ohio State, you know, just like Bama recruits four or five stars, guys. But, you know, Alabama is different. You know, that SEC speed is different. You know, it's different when you're playing, you know, Indiana and Northwestern you know, Michigan, no no disrespect to those those programs, but they don't have the speed, the size, the strength, the athletic ability as the recruits you're going to get from Alabama. And I think, you know, that played a difference. You know, it, it was the major difference for me. I just think, you know, they were just more talented. And I think, you know, the coaching was better. And, you know, when those two things work hand-in-hand with a great quarterback, you usually can win games and win championships. No doubt. I think plain and simple – you know, Ohio State was just outmatched in this game. Uh, this Alabama offense was arguably the best Bama offense we've ever seen. Some are trying to make the argument that they were better than the 2019 LSU Tigers, which they weren't for the record. Uh, but this offense had three Heisman finalists. You have to give your hats off to each guy, you know. Mac Jones, a lot of people doubted him, didn't even think he was going to be starting quarterback to start the year. Uh, Najee Harris, he decided to return for his senior year. That ended up helping him out tremendously, Uh, and he even became Bama's all-time leading rusher, probably the most talented running back to come through Alabama. And then you got Devontae Smith on the outside, who's a guy who's been counted out, doubted his entire career. Uh, And to see his story and to see the way he broke out and came onto the scene this year, uh, it was was just nothing short of fascinating. Uh, But like you mentioned, 
uh, you know, right before kickoff, a few hours before, they announced that two of our starting defensive linemen uh, were not going to play due to COVID. And then first carry of the game, Trey Sermon goes out uh, with the shoulder injury. And pretty much at that moment, what I had already honestly accepted the fact that Bama was going to beat Ohio State. But definitely after that Trey Sermon injury, it was just like, all right, yeah, this this is about to be a good old-fashioned butt whooping. Because uh, just for that Ohio State team, they invested so much time, so much resources, uh, and so many emotions into that game against Clemson. Because uh, we all know how the history between Ohio State and Clemson has gone. Uh, it hasn't been one too friendly to Ohio State. Uh, but this Ohio State defense was probably – one of the worst that they've tried it out in about a decade. I mean, you brought up whether it was zone or man, um, Alabama just basically could do whatever they wanted to. And I don't think it was more so, well, it was out scheming, but at the same time, we just simply didn't have the players to keep up with Bama. Uh, Because like you said, losing that D-line depth forced us to play an extra linebacker. And I don't know about you, but I know you saw Pete Warner and Tough Borland out there in space trying to guard Devontae Smith, who is the Heisman winning raw receiver currently, by the way, trying to keep up with him in space. I mean, it was almost a joke. I could just laugh every time I saw it. Uh, And not to mention, Bama's D-line, we heard everybody talking about it's a group of no-names. Uh, but nonetheless, as a unit, uh, they dominated that game, plain and simple. Uh, and like I said, that also added on to the fact we lost Trey Sermon. And even Master Teague before that game, he hadn't played in like the past five weeks uh, dealing with the concussion. So, you know, like I said, Bama showed their true colors. They're still the cream of the crop in college football. Uh, but I definitely expect both of these teams to be right back in the national championship picture next year. Definitely. And also other guys contribute as well. John Mechie the third, uh, Jalen Waddle, who was clearly hobbled and injured. You know, he showed his toughness in play. I don't think he should have been playing, uh, but he contributed a little oh, bit. Nah. So, you know, and that defense, Alabama's defense stepped up big time too. Uh, they were stopping the run. That, that defensive line, along with Christian Barmore, you know, like you said, dominated. The defensive backs played well. Patrick Sertain, you know, showed why he's considered the best corner, cornerback prospect in this draft. You know, and on, and on the Ohio State side, you know, coming into the year, I had seen analysts talk about Sean Wade as possibly being the number one corner taken in this draft. But Sean yeah, Wade, <laughs> Sean Wade, he got torched all over the field. Uh, you know, there were times where – there were times where Devontae Adams beat him off the line and would have scored. Devontae Adams might have had – not excuse me, not Devontae Adams, excuse me. Devontae Smith might have had five touchdowns, you know, and one of those places where Mac Jones fumbled. And, you know, Devontae Smith, he murdered Sean Wade off the line of scrimmage. He, he had him beat by like five, six yards immediately once the ball was snapped. So, you know, Devontae Smith could have had even more receiving yards. Nobody, arguably nobody's draft stock took more of a hit this year than Sean Wade. 
I don't think they ever should have moved him to outside corner because uh, that, that's just not the kind of player he is. And trust me, it's a huge difference between playing slot corner and outside corner. Uh, anybody who knows football would know. But like I said, Bama and Ohio State still should be back in the picture next year. And I'm still under the belief that they should expand the college football playoff. We've but, talked about we've talked about this, and you know exactly how I feel on that subject. Yeah, yeah. So I'm not even going to indulge in it. <laughs> <laughs> so moving on to the NFL, of course, this past week playoff action started. Had a lot of good games, uh, some surprising results. Uh, so Jimmy, what what were your reactions and thoughts on Wild Card Weekend? So my first, uh, you know, reaction, I was happy that Lamar Jackson got his first playoff win. You know, that was the narrative going into this season. Uh, he, he was 0-2 in the playoffs, didn't play particularly well in his first two games at all. Uh, but he got the monkey off his back. He had more passing yards than Ryan Tannehill, uh, and he outrushed the Tennessee Titans by himself. Had over 300 total yards, had one rushing touchdown, one interception. But I think the story of that game was definitely the Ravens' defense. Uh, they held Derrick Henry, the rushing champ, you know, 2,000-yard rusher, to 40 yards on 18 carries. <clears throat> Last season, Derrick Henry ran for 195 yards in the playoff game against the Baltimore Ravens. So, you know, that's a big drop-off. You know, they were just all over him. He had no lane to cut back. He had no lane to get started. You know, Pernell McPhee, he played a big part in the game. I don't know if people really realize how big of a piece he was. You know, he was holding his own at the end. He was, you know, keeping contained, and he was also crashing down at the right time. And they were, you know, when you're tackling Derrick Henry, you have to go for the legs. If you try to tackle him up high, you know, that's a big mistake. You're going to get stiff on him. You know, they they ran to the ball. Pursuit was great. You know, they were outstanding tackling. You know, I think the Titans should have attacked through the air a little more. A.J. Brown was having his way with Marlon Humphrey early on. I'm sure we all saw that. So, you know, like I said, I definitely should have passed the ball a little more. You know, coaching wasn't the greatest. Mike Vrabel made a questionable, you know, decision to punt on fourth and two. Uh, you got the rushing champ in the backfield. I think I think you have to go for it. Uh, but, you know, you never know what he was thinking in this situation. But I definitely was impressed with, you know, with Lamar Jackson and the Baltimore Ravens. And I had them winning. Uh, but I did say – that if they fell behind by two scores or more, meaning a touchdown and a field goal or two touchdowns, I figured they would lose, but they proved me wrong. You know, we all know that we all know that the Baltimore Ravens, you know, aren't really built to win from behind, come back from behind due to the lack of receiving weapons, you know, outside of Mark Andrews. Uh Hollywood Brown is rather inconsistent, but he had a he had a great game Sunday. And they'll need more of that from him going forward. And I think, you know, I think they'll be Buffalo. And I think they'll be in the AFC Championship game against the Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, but that was my, you know, that was one of my top, one of my top thoughts. You can go ahead with yours. All right. Uh, I think for me, one thing that I took away from the weekend, I think the Colts is a team that I looked at. I think throughout the year they were madly underrated. They flew under the radar, uh, but they could push for a Super Bowl next year. If they can get their quarterback situation figured out, because um, I I just don't think Philip Rivers is the guy, which obviously uh, that's gonna get them to a Super Bowl. 
Uh, but against Buffalo, you know, they consistently moved the ball. It was really just the red zone. Once they got down there, they couldn't score, which all year they've been 17th in red zone offense. Uh, so ultimately down the stretch, that proved to be a difference maker. Uh, but, you know, the Colts had a top 10 offense and top 10 defense. Uh, and very few teams in the NFL did that. Matter of fact, they may have been the only one, if I'm not mistaken, other than like the Saints. But and they also have a good head coach in place in Frank Wright. Of course, remember he came from Philly. Uh, was responsible for that Super Bowl run. Uh, they have a good front office that are making good draft picks. They made some big free agent splashes and trades. Um, so, like I said, if they can get a quarterback that's a playmaker and can just get them in the end zone once they get in, inside the 20, I think this is a team we could be talking about as a possible Super Bowl contender. Uh, definitely. It's, definitely. The Colts are definitely a team to watch going forward. You know, they should have some cap space coming up. You know, I'm interested to see what they're going to do in terms of the quarterback position. You know, I think Jacoby Brissett is set to be a free agent as well, but they drafted Jacob Eason out of Washington this past, you know, past draft. So we'll see what they're doing with that. But I, I do have, I do have another, you know, I have another thought. You know, I, I, the biggest surprise of the weekend, I'm sure, to everybody, was the way that the, the Cleveland Browns went in Pittsburgh and defeated the Steelers. Uh, that was that was a shock to me. It was, no, I can't necessarily say it was a shock. You know, I wouldn't have been surprised had Cleveland won, but I was surprised, you know, they dominated the way they did early on. The game started off wrong for Pittsburgh on the fumble that ended up wind up being a touchdown for the Browns. And, you know, the Browns were efficient offensively. They were opportunistic on defense. They had four interceptions, and I mentioned a defensive touchdown. Uh, ben Roethlisberger, if you just look at the numbers, he had he threw for over 500 yards and uh, four touchdowns, but he also had four interceptions. Pittsburgh once again couldn't run the football, haven't been able to do it all year long. They didn't Pittsburgh didn't really throw the ball downfield. Uh five, six yard passes. That's evident by Ben Roethlisberger's 68 pass attempts. Uh Juju had a nice game. Deontay Johnson had a nice game. Uh, but it simply wasn't enough. The defense definitely let them down. There were a lot of short fields for the Cleveland offense, and we know that what they can do offensively, they love to run the ball. Uh you know, Kareem Hutt and Nick Chubb are the best one-two punch in the NFL in terms of running backs. Uh, Baker Mayfield, you know, when he has time to throw throw the ball, you know, he's efficient. You know, he's not he's not going to give you 400 passing yards, but he'll give you 250, 260 and a couple touchdowns. And I think, you know, what impressed me so much is about the Browns is considering the players that they were losing and their head coach was even out because of COVID. And also, they lost their right tackle rarely early in the game. So I think they were only with they were without, uh, I think three of their five off starting offensive linemen. So that was impressive, you know, being able to put up that many points. And the Cleveland has arguably probably the best offensive line in football. And so to go from having you know your entire unit to having two players from the starting unit, you know, that's a big drop off. But you know, the guys filled in, and they played extremely great football Sunday. Yeah, no doubt about that. And, you know, doubling down on what you said, I don't think I was more so surprised by the result, but I was more so surprised at the way Cleveland just came out there and they just jumped all over the Steelers. But, I mean, the writing was on the wall. The Steelers have been trending in the wrong direction for about a month and a half or two now. Uh, 
you know, they're one and five to close the season. Big Ben, you know, he just reached a point where he looked unmotivated. Like, you know, it's times he doesn't even look like he wants to be out there. And I think that was evident by the play when the snap went clean past him. And he just kind of looked at it roll and watched his teammate try to recover it. Um, and not to mention they've had issues with receivers dropping passes. They had no running game whatsoever. Uh, their offensive line has struggled this year. Uh, they've had some injuries on the front seven to their defense. So like I said, the, the, the walls were bound to come crumbling at some point. You know, that 11-0 start seemed all cute and all at the beginning, but a lot of those wins were against some inferior teams, and the Steelers were barely squeaking out of those games. So I think, you know, this Steelers team is worse than what a lot of people may be thinking right now. And, you know, if they press the wrong buttons, they could be seeing themselves spiraling towards a rebuild. I, you know, I, I voiced my displeasure uh, for Pittsburgh, you know, earlier in the year. I mentioned that they were probably the worst 11-0 team I had ever seen. They couldn't run the football, couldn't throw the ball downfield. They were barely, you know, winning games. I, honestly, I felt like they should have had six or seven losses this year, uh, but they, they skated by like you mentioned. And I, I knew at some point it was going to come back to bite Pittsburgh, and it did at the worst time. No doubt. And, you know, I think another team we got to give credit to, another team that seems to be trending in the right direction, uh, the Washington football team. You know, they played a really competitive game against the Buccaneers. A lot of people really didn't expect that to happen. But, you know, Ron Rivera is really showing his impact on this football team and showing just really how good of a coach he is. Uh, since week 11, actually, the the Washington football team, sometimes I still want to say their old name, <laughs> but they were fifth in total defense. They were third in scoring defense, and they were fourth in getting after the quarterback. And then you have to look at it. This team overcame a lot this year. You know, not only did it everybody who was dealing with COVID, uh, but, you know, Washington, they had the team name issue. They had ownership issues. You had the distraction with Dwayne Haskins, you know, Alex Smith getting over his injury, Coach Ron Rivera beating cancer. I mean, you could go on and on. There were lots of storylines in Washington this year. But at the end of the day, he had this team rolling late in the season, even with subpar quarterback play. And once again, just like the Colts, this could be a team, if they can get a playmaker at quarterback, they could be dangerous. Definitely. I was impressed with Washington, too. You know, I said they arguably have the best front four in football. And, you know, Ryan Kerrigan, who's been a perennial 10-sack guy, you know, he was a backup with them. You know, they had one of the best defenses in football. They took the ball away. All they needed was a consistent quarterback. They were probably a consistent quarterback away from being a 10-win or 11-win team. You know, hopefully they can get the quarterback position, uh, you know, settled going into next season. Taylor Heineke played well. So maybe he may be the guy going forward. So but it's going to be an interesting offseason for them. No doubt, no doubt. Uh, and, of course, I think last but not least out of all the teams that at least lost Wild Card Weekend, you can't forget about the Seahawks. I don't think anybody saw that coming. You know, Russ, 
who was MVP probably first half of the season, you know, he started fading away down the stretch. And I, I don't know if it was both of us. I know at least I did, you know, warned against it. But in this game, he only completed 11 passes. 41% of his passes were complete. And the Seahawks offense went 2 for 14 on third down, including starting 0 for 8. I mean, they couldn't get anything going, which you do have to give credit to the Rams. They were the number one defense in the league. Uh, But, you know, even against the Rams, the Seahawks have had success. But, you know, they look completely stagnant against the Seahawks over the weekend. And I think, you know, it's pretty evident, which they've had issues with this for years. And I don't know why they don't shore it up. But Russell Wilson needs a more stable offensive line in front of him. Uh, And I think until then, that's going to continue to hold his team back. Uh, The Rams got after Russell Wilson all day and was able to get five sacks. Uh, So when your quarterback's under duress like that, you're not really going to have a great chance of winning a football game. That was definitely one of mine as well. I I was, you know, I picked Seattle because of the quarterback. And I feel like the coaches were comparable, but, you know, I wasn't surprised when I saw the score. You know, <clears throat> the Rams had played Seattle tough all season long. And, you know, when you – the Seattle's offense had been struggling like the last month of the season. And with a defense like the Rams, they can get after the quarterback. You know, they have arguably the best interior defensive lineman in NFL history. Got the best cornerback in football. Got a deep secondary. Uh, and can get after the passer. You know, they can frustrate any offense, and they did exactly that. And the offense did just enough, you know, to help out. And if the Rams had a, a better quarterback, better starting quarterback than Jerry Goff, they might would be my Super Bowl favorite. Hmm. You know, they remind me a lot of the 49ers last year. They do. They do. Jerry Goff, Jerry Goff if, if he plays the Jimmy G role from last year, he could get them to a Super Bowl this year, but like I said, it's gonna all depend on what Jared Goff can do because he's pretty limited, especially with that thumb injury. But even before then, he wasn't really having a good season at all. It was twenty touchdowns, thirteen interceptions, had a quarterback rating of ninety. Uh, that's slightly above average in terms of quarterback rating, and the twenty touchdowns is not impressive at all. Not, you know, not for the amount of money he's being paid. No, not at all. Not at all. Uh, but before we move on divisional round, did you have any more takeaways or thoughts from Wild Card Weekend? Uh, no. All right. So, divisional round preview. Uh, you know, first on the AFC side, we got the Bills against the Ravens. This should be a good matchup. Definitely. And I told you earlier, I got I got Baltimore. Excuse me. You know, one of the things, you know, Buffalo has an amazing offense. Uh, but one thing offensively they can't, they don't do well is run the football. And, you know, when you can't, when you don't have the true threat of running the football, it makes it easier to defend against the pass. And Baltimore has two great corners on the outside. They got some, they have, you know, a couple solid safeties. And Deshaun Elliott and Chuck Clark, they got Jimmy Smith, who's a, a tried and true veteran. Patrick Queen can cover uh, tight ends 
and they got a, a great pass rush, you know. Calais Campbell, Matt Judon, Pernell McPhee, Yannick Ngakwe, uh, Derek Wolf, all those guys can push the pocket. And, you know, with Buffalo's defense, you know, they create turnovers, you know, uh, but they don't defend the run well. Uh, they, during the regular season, they were 25th uh, in rush yards in rush yards per carry. Uh, they were 29th in the red zone. And Baltimore led the league in yards per carry rushing and yards per game. And they were one of the best when it comes to getting touchdowns in the red zone. So that's going to be interesting. You know, it's hard to put up points when you're not going when you don't have the ball. Even last week, they allowed 472 yards to Indy in the wild card game. They didn't have any sacks. They didn't have any takeaways. And Indianapolis was over 50% on third down. And during the regular season, Indy was ranked 21st. Uh, they didn't even complete 40%. They weren't even 40%, you know, conversion rate on third down. And they also allowed 163 rush yards and almost five and a half yard, yards per attempt last week. So, you know, if I'm Buffalo, I'm concerned with the way Baltimore can run the football. And, you know, it could possibly snow as well. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that leans more that leans more to running the football, you know, even more for Baltimore. So, I, you know, I, you know, when it comes to pass D, uh, they're top 10 in rating allowed in yards per attempt. But you don't really expect back to Baltimore to try to throw the ball around the field. Like I said, they got Mark Andrews, who's an excellent tight end. Uh, I think Hollywood Brown, in my opinion, you know, has, has been, you know, a little bit of a disappointment. You know, Willie Sneed, Dez Bryant, those guys really haven't contributed much. So, you know, you don't expect them to go in there and throw for 300 yards. Uh, but they could easily run for 300 yards, and I think that could be a problem. But on the flip side, the Buffalo Bills offense has been electric this season. Stephon Diggs putting up monster numbers. And Josh Allen in any other year probably would have been the MVP. But, you know, Patrick Mahomes and Aaron Rodgers put up other had otherworldly seasons this year, so that's why Josh Allen wasn't the MVP. Uh, but I think it's going to be a great game. Uh, like I said, I, I, I see Baltimore winning uh, simply because of the way their defense can play and the way they can run the football. And like I said, you know, if you can't run the ball, and I'm talking about Buffalo, it's going to be hard to just sit back and drop, drop back and throw against Baltimore because we saw what they did last week, you know. You know, when you think about the Titans, you think about Derrick Henry, but you also you got to think about it. A.J. Brown was a 1,000-yard receiver, had 11 touchdowns. Corey Davis was like 50 yards away from 1,000. Janu Smith is an athletic tight end. Ryan Tannehill, you know, had a great season as well, so they can throw the ball as well. So, you know, I, I like the way the Ravens are playing right now. They've hit their stride uh, since they lost to Tennessee early in the, in the regular season, and I expect them to move on to the AFC Championship game. No doubt. I think I'm going to start first with the Buffalo Bills. You pointed it out, the the run game, MIA. Uh, anytime your quarterback is your leading rusher outside of Baltimore, uh, that's an issue. You know, you don't want a guy like Josh Allen, who you depend on to use his big arm to move the offense down the field. You don't want him taking unnecessary hits uh, and possibly, you know, risking getting injured or putting himself in harm's way. Uh, and then on the defensive side of the ball, that pass rush is hit or miss. You know, they couldn't get the Phillip Rivers last week. You know, albeit Indianapolis is probably a top three at worst offensive line in the league. Uh, but I think on both sides, you know, looking at both of these problems together, the ultimate problem for Buffalo is in the trenches. And I think that's an issue, especially considering 
on the other side, you have the most dangerous rushing attack in the league um, and the most dynamic player in the league in Lamar Jackson, who, by the way, I'm happy he finally got his first playoff win. All the haters can shut up and finally stop complaining and just let this guy ball out. Uh, But outside of the first quarter last week, the Ravens completely dominated the Titans for the last three quarters. Uh, And even Lamar, you know, his numbers don't jump off the screen, particularly his passing numbers. You know, he had a great day running the ball. But, you know, even passing, he really only had one bad throw, and that was the interception. Outside of that, you know, he looked more comfortable. Things seemed to be uh, slowing down to him, especially in the playoffs. It didn't seem like too big of a moment for him. Uh, So I think the Ravens are definitely riding high and, you know, really confident going into this matchup with the Bills. Because like we said, you know, games start and end in the trenches. And, you know, it's going to be real hard and a lot of pressure on Josh Allen if he's back there running for his life. Uh, just to be able to make plays for the offense. So another matchup in the AFC, we have the Kansas City Chiefs taking on the Cinderella story and the Cleveland Browns. So, Jimmy, uh, what are your thoughts on this matchup? I got Kansas City. Uh, It's been a nice playoff win for the Cleveland Browns, but I think it stops here. Obviously, Kansas City is electric on offense. Uh, They're, you know, I would say, you know, they're – average to below average defense but when you got an offense like that you know your defense doesn't have to be great you can make up for that you know Cleveland they got you know they have some some things going for them you know hopefully you know Kevin Stefanski and you know they're starting offensive linemen can come back for the next game uh but even if they do you know I, I can't see any scenario where they beat Kansas City like I said they gave up you know over 500 yards to Ben Roethlisberger they didn't get any sacks, you know, in the regular season. They're bottom 10 in third down percentage and touchdown percentage in the red zone defending-wise. Uh, they're below average or worse in points per game, yards per game, quarterback rating, and passing yards per game. They're bottom 10 in quarterback hits and pressure percentage. Uh, so, you know, if Patrick Mahomes is going to have, you know, time in the pocket, then he's going to eat you alive regardless on regardless of who your defensive backs are. And, you know, I don't think Baker Mayfield is, you know, good enough to overcome the defensive warts. I mean, let's be honest. You know, they can run the ball like the best of them, of course. Uh, but it takes Kansas City. It can take them three, four plays to score. You can have the ball for seven minutes uh, and they can score in two plays. And it, it happens quite often. You know, Patrick Mahomes, a monster, 38 touchdowns, only six interceptions. They had two Receivers with 1,200-plus yards and 10-plus touchdowns. They had five receivers with over 400 yards. Uh, offensive line is great. G- gave up the fifth fewest sacks this year. They're the top six in points, yards, and turnovers. You know, third on third down with 49%. Uh, but they're below average in terms of converting touchdowns in the red zone, which is kind of, which kind of surprises me considering the weapons. Uh, but I don't think Cleveland has a chance here. I mean, let, let's just be honest here. Uh, you know, like I said, it was it was a you, like you said you mentioned it was a Cinderella story uh, that ends now. Uh, if Cleveland happens to beat you know Kansas City, I'd be surprised. That'd probably be the most surprising thing I've ever seen. But I, I don't see it happening no time soon. Patrick Mahomes and that offense is just entirely too good. Yeah, 
it's been fun, but you know, I think the buck stops here for the Browns. You know, they stopped they snapped actually a 17 game losing streak at Pittsburgh. Uh and of course we know they hadn't been to the playoffs in like two decades. Seems like our entire lifetime they've never been in the playoffs. So, you know, that accomplishment in itself makes this season a success for them. But, you know, we talked about how bad Pittsburgh looked. Cleveland just dominated them. They were better from the jump. They were just more dynamic, uh, more physical, looked faster. But Kansas City's Kansas City. Patrick Mahomes is still the best quarterback in the league. You know, Andy Reid still arguably uh, the best offensive play caller in the league who has the best arsenal of weapons at his disposal in the league. Uh, of course, Travis Kelsey, you know what he brings to the table, Tyreek Hill, all those guys. Uh, and not to mention, they're going to have a fresh Le'Veon Bell in the playoffs. So, you know, he could bring that element to that offense and that balance that could end up being the X factor for the Chiefs this year in the playoffs. Uh, and not even to mention, you know, they still got playmakers in Tyron Matthew, Chris Jones, those guys on the defensive side of the ball. So I'm expecting the same Kansas City. You know, it's the playoffs. They'll be motivated. And, you know, they're fresh. They're rested. And I think they'll they'll show that from the opening, opening kickoff. Definitely. So, now on the NFC side of the bracket, First matchup, we had the number one seed at Green Bay Packers up against the L.A. Rams. So, Jimmy, what's your thoughts on this matchup? I'm going to go with Green Bay here. I think Aaron Rodgers ha- had arguably his best season ever, 48 touchdowns, only five interceptions, quarterback rating above 120, which is extraordinary. Uh, he has three he has two of the top three highest-rated quarterback seasons in NFL history, uh, which is no surprise. He's ultra-efficient. Uh, Devontae Adams, in my opinion, is the best receiver in football, led the NFL in yards per game and receiving touchdowns. Aaron Jones had another great year, uh, over 1,000 yards, you know, nine touchdowns, five-and-a-half yards per carry. The offensive line played well this year, only allowed 21 sacks, which is second-fewest, uh, but – they had a big injury. Uh, their left tackle, all-pro left tackle, David Bakhtiari, is out with a torn ACL. I think that's something that's worth noting because, you know, as we know, the Rams can definitely get after the quarterback. Uh, but, you know, with Green Bay's offense, they're first in points, first in turnovers, fifth in yards, second and third down, and they're first in red zone touchdown percentage. So the offense is simply was simply electric this year. Uh, when, when yeah. look at the, now, when you want to look at the Rams, you know, their defense uh, was has been amazing this year. You know, they get to the quarterback, they turn the ball over, have arguably the deepest secondary, uh, but their offense leaves a lot to be desired, particularly at the quarterback position. Uh, but Jared Goff had a broken thumb, uh, but, you know, he played well considering he had a broken thumb. Uh, he had 155 yards on the touchdown last game. Uh, so, you know, you kind of don't know what to expect when it comes to Jared Goff. Uh, Cam Akers had a great game, had over 130 yards in the touchdown. Uh, but they were 3 of 15 on third down, which is definitely a concern. Green, Green Bay, you know, doesn't have the best defense, but they got some players definitely. Uh, Jair Alexander, 
Uh, it's one of the best corners in football. Darius Smith, Preston Smith, and Rashawn Gary can get after the quarterback. Uh, so, you know, I think this is going to be an exciting one. I'm going to go with Green Bay. I think they have the edge. at I have, They have, you know, a sizable advantage at the quarterback position. So, you know, I got Green Bay in this one. Of course. And, you know, you talked about it enough, but can't you can't give Aaron Rodgers enough credit. He played at an MVP level this season. <clears throat> Excuse me. He has my vote for MVP. Uh, Devontae Adams cemented himself as the best receiver in the game. You got Aaron Jones in the backfield, who's easily a top 10 running back in the game, both a, a threat in the running and receiving game. Uh, but, you know, I mentioned earlier, this Rams team, you know, they really give me vibes of this 49ers team from last year. They can get after the quarterback. They got pass rushers galore. Uh, they got guys on the outside in the secondary who can lock down and really clamp down. And, you know, last week perhaps the biggest X factor was that offensive line played really well up front. Uh, Cam Akers was able to go off for 131 yards. Now, it is worth noting uh, for this game, you know, Aaron Donald dealing with a rib injury, which he said he's good to go. And then also keeping an eye on Cooper Cup. Uh, I think he suffered a leg injury. Uh, so we'll see if those guys are 100% for Sunday. But, you know, I don't think the Rams have the firepower to keep up with the, the Packers because they're going to score points regardless. And, you know, we've mentioned Jared Goff just hasn't been that guy this year. So ultimately, I think that's going to be the biggest difference, and I see the Packers pulling this out too. So last – Oh, my bad, my bad. Go ahead. You know, I do want to mention the Jalen Ramsey and Devontae Adams matchup. I'm excited to see. Uh, but the Green Bay Packers, they do move Devontae Adams around the field. So I want to see if Jalen Ramsey is going to follow him, you know, all around the field or is he just going to stay on one side of the field? Because if so, then I think Devontae Adams can have a big game. But if he's just one-on-one -on -one with Jalen Ramsey the entire time, I don't know how much of an impact he's going to have. He's a great receiver, uh, but Jalen Ramsey's been shutting down you know, receivers all year long. Yeah, I think he's going to shadow him. So in that matchup, who you got, Ramsey or Devontae Adams? <laughs> I'm going to go with Adams. I'm going to go with Adams. I think, and, you know, I think I'm going with Devontae too. I don't, you know, I don't think he's going to have, you know, 100 yards and nothing like that, three touch, nothing like that. But I think, you know, he may get, you know, 60 to 75 yards. He might get in the end zone, uh, but, you know, I, I'm predicting at least 60 to 70 yards from him. He's not going to get shut out for sure. Just something to where he has some kind of impact on the game, unlike DK Metcalf did. Definitely. No doubt. So, last but not least, we got the senior citizen matchup, Brady, Breeze, part three, bring your popcorn. Jimmy, who you got? I got Breeze and the New Orleans Saints. They have had the Tampa Bay Buccaneers number all season long. They dominated them in both matchups during the regular season, outscored them 72 to 26. Uh, Tom Brady played his two worst games this year against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Uh, they, you know, like I said, simply dominated. In those two games, they sacked Tom Brady six times, had five interceptions, only allowed 232 total yards, 
uh, only allowed Tom Brady to complete 61% of his passes, and he had a QBR of 23 and a half. Average is 50. So, you know, they put the clamps on Tom Brady. Uh, New Orleans has a great defense. They rush the passer with the best of them. They have an excellent linebacking core, and they're excellent on the back end. And they have all the makings of a Super Bowl team. Uh, Drew Brees, you know, he's an efficient distributor as he's been pretty much his entire career. I don't think he has the ability uh, to take over the games with his arm like he used to, uh, but he's still more than serviceable. Uh, he's still one of the smartest quarterbacks we've ever seen. Alvin Kamara having a monster year. Had 99 yards in his last game in the touchdown. Michael Thomas is back. He made an impact last game. Last game against the in the wild card, they were 11 of 17 on third down, which is tremendous. Uh, they had the time of possession advantage by 17 minutes. And, you know, they protect Drew Brees as well. He was only sacked 13 times in 12 regular season games. Uh, so, you know, the Saints are rolling right now. Uh, great defense, you know. Good enough offense, so I expect them to get it done again. Uh, but you can't count out number 12 and Tom Brady. It seems like, you know, that team, that offense is clicked. They've been throwing the ball around. They had 507 total yards last week against their great Washington football team defense. Uh, Tom Brady had another 380 passing yards and a couple touchdowns. Uh, he was sacked three times, uh, but, you know, that's okay considering, you know, who they played against. Leonard Fournette. Had 93 yards and a touchdown. They had five players with at least 39 receiving yards. So that shows you, you know, Tom Brady was distributing the rock well as well, and those guys were getting it done. Uh, defense, you know, they're great against the run. They can get after you, but I think they're susceptible. Susceptible, you know, on the back end, they have some young guys on their back end, uh, and that's evidence evident by you know the amount of yards that was given up last game. And the amount of yards was given up by Taylor Heineke. Uh, I think he had over 300 yards passing. And, you know, Washington had one of the worst offensive lines in football during the regular season, and they were unable to run the ball. So, you know, I think, you know, Drew Brees, if Taylor Heineke can take advantage of their back end, I, I know for for a fact Drew Brees can. Uh, but I just don't I just don't think, you know, the Buccaneers are, are particularly built to contend with the Saints. And I, think, I, I don't think it's a blowout, of course. I think it's maybe a three- or four-point game, but I got New Orleans once again. I think this will be an exciting matchup. Uh, you know, I think it's always good when these teams play each other for a third time. You never know what to expect. Uh, but, you know, hats off to Tom Brady. Ever since the Buccaneers bye week, he's been arguably the hottest quarterback in the league. Uh, the Buccaneers are 5-0 and in that span. And Tom Brady is actually first in the league in passing touchdowns in that span also. Uh, so, like we said, he's cooking at the right time, distributing the ball to everybody. Uh, his accuracy is on point. Uh, but this Saints team, just overall, they're more talented. They're well coached. I do have to say, if there's anything I'm concerned about, you mentioned it. Drew Brees can't take over and win a game like he used to. He's just not that guy anymore. And Michael Thomas is also not back at 100% yet. And I think that was pretty evident against the Bears. Uh, so I think there are a few question marks for the Saints on top of their previous, you know, recent playoff resume. But ultimately, I don't think they'll let that get to them this year. And ultimately, they'll send Tom Brady back to Tampa Bay Packing. 
Definitely. I got to roll with Drew Brees. Um, no, I think this may be his last season. This is his last chance uh, to get a ring. Uh, I don't think they make it to the Super Bowl. I think they if, they if the Green Bay Packers win, I don't believe they can beat Green Bay, you know, at Lambeau Field. I don't think it's happening. No, I don't see it happening either. Well, those are all the topics we had to discuss in this episode. Did you have anything else you wanted to add, bro? Uh, no, sir. I uh, just want to thank y'all for continuing to support us, continuing to tune in, uh, follow our social media pages, uh, you know, write us, you know, hit our inboxes. If you got any suggestions, you got any, you know, topics you want to hear us talk about, we're all ears, we're all open. And stay tuned. You know, we got some big things coming up, got some, some important guests coming up. So stay tuned. No doubt, no doubt. Just to, you know, double everything you said. We appreciate the support. Continuing to tune in with us. Follow us on Facebook and our group. Follow our page. Have an Instagram page. We got Twitter. You can find us on all podcast platforms. Uh, And once again, thank y'all. And I'm your co-host, the one and only Quentin Douglas. And I'm Jimmy Covington. All right. Deuces. All right. Thank y'all.